This is an oral history of the Lord's move at Gonzaga University in the late 1970s. It's a story of what can happen when a group of young men are captured by the enjoyment of their human spirit and the truth of the ground of the church. The following is a roundtable fellowship between Scott, Peter, Jim, and Bob, in which they reflect on their experiences preaching the gospel together at Gonzaga. You know, I wanted to say a little bit about the gospel. I love what our brother just shared. Don't believe your feelings. Don't trust the feelings. And really, God is doing so much. Every now and then, we're just matching what he's already been doing. And, you know, really, when we go share the gospel, we think we're going to reap some fruit. But every gospel speaking is a sowing. And when you sow, that thing gets into the ground. You don't see it anymore. You, there's nothing spontaneous. And we can't even trust the spontaneous things. So our sowing is just putting something into the ground, into people's human hearts that we can't even see. But here's the one good thing. They have a custom-made spirit that right. is leaning toward what you're saying, even if they don't agree. Right. Even if they don't know how to act, there's already something in our favor. Their custom-designed human spirit, like our brother put in great words, he couldn't understand it, not until that bus ride with Rick or that car ride to, with Rick, but deep down inside, something began to reverberate, you know, and that's the precious thing. Whenever we speak, we can trust that more than our feeling. As long as someone has two eyes, a nose, an ear, and two mouths, all they need is seven holes in their head, they qualify to hear the gospel. That's the only, only thing we need to worry about. And then secondly, I'd like to share another thing that really helped me through the years is their strength in numbers. And a lot of times after a basketball game, instead of saying who won, how many points, we went to my room or to Peter's room, and we would just sing and sing and sing. And after so much singing, we felt like, hey, we got to go marching or we got to go find someone at the cafeteria. It's almost like, it's, it's how Brother Lee puts it in this book called The Age of the New Man. He said, there's a chapter, I think it's chapter six, come, go, come. And he brings out in there that the gospel is really just after inhaling, you have to exhale. After so much taking in, the gospel is the exhaling. It's not even you're trying to do the gospel. It's that after you partake of this divine scenery, and after you taste of this divine feast, you got to let it out. Actually, if you don't share the gospel, you have to hold your breath. That's not pleasant. But it's because you've touched something. And a lot of times it was with others that, that can strengthen that. A lot of times for me, just singing. If I could just sing, it gets me out of my reasoning. And it gets me to that simple, simplicity, loving flow of life. And then there's a desire to, to give Christ to someone in, in some setting. And, you know, we would sing in our dorm room, and eventually, Peter, Jim, I think you may remember, Bob, you might have heard about this. We used to have a priest that came and always enjoyed our singing, so we let him come into our little uh, dorm room and sing. We'd sing from after a game, 9.30 at night, until, you know, midnight. And he'd come in. Who was that? Oh, I, I forgot his last name, but we called him Pops, because the Bible said, don't call anyone your father. <laughs> it was a shorter guy with glasses. 
And we say, hey, pops, come on in. We would never call him father. We said, you know, we can't call you father. The Bible says don't call you, but we can call you pops. And then we Tony, told him. Tony, 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 I, I, I can't get his last name. I think his, that's it. Tony, Tony. Yeah, I, I think that's it. And then we told him, hey, pops, why don't you throw off that collar and let's just enjoy the Lord. So he'd come in every time and after a certain point, throw his collar off and just sing like crazy with us. It was quite marvelous, quite something. But see, there's a, there's a strength, there's a boldness in numbers. Even during Christmas time, we still do this. We'll go door to door with the guitar and just sing until someone comes to the door and they think they want to give us money. We tell them no, this and that. But there's strength in numbers if you just go. And sometimes even go into a mall just to sing. And do you know, we used to sing out on the balcony of the second floor of DeSmet that overlooked the campus and the cafeteria. And we'd pick times in between class when we knew students were coming and going. And we'd just get out there, four or five of us, with guitars and sing, 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 kind of pronouncing it to the campus. And one time, the law students above us on the third floor, every now and then, when we'd call on the Lord, if we stopped calling, we could hear them saying, Satan, Satan, Satan. They would chant the name of Satan. But anyway, as we were singing one day, one afternoon, Peter, you probably remember this, they got yeah. buckets of water, and they, water. Poured, they poured yeah. it on us. <laughs> as we were on the second level, they were on the third level. So we said, yeah, you remember that, Peter? Yeah. yeah. And I said, oh, that's marvelous. We just got baptized. So we went into our dorm room, wiped off our guitars, and went back to singing with more joy. And they never gave us a second dose. But there's a strength in numbers, and there's a joy in singing that can kind of overflow. And then you, you just splash Jesus on people almost accidentally. <laughs> flash Jesus on me. <laughs> Brother Scott, you said that very nonchalantly, oh yeah, the, the whole basketball team got saved except for the two Mormons. Yeah. Can you maybe, can you maybe explain how that happened? Like, yeah. did you, were you, were you praying for them? Were you? Yes, oh yes, I wanted to say the church in Spokane utterly helped us and they prayed weekly for that team over and over again and that prayer is what really gave us a, a strengthening and a believing that we were just in the forefront but they were the real support behind us and then we had a number of sisters that would come to practice and they would just be there and we would just know they're standing with us they wouldn't even say anything they'd leave gingerbread houses they'd leave cakes on the on the bleachers i mean it was just like they hand walked us into this realm and we realized there was a strengthening. And so sometimes it was in clusters. Sometimes two or three of the players would get saved at once. Sometimes, I don't know if you all remember Willie Moss. Yeah. Tall, tall six, six, nine guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. From Detroit, he had a tooth missing, but you never asked him about it because he might do something to you. But anyway, <laughs> big six, nine guy. <laughs> he said, yeah, they used to call me shoes because I wear a size 13. Yeah, shoes. I grew up in Detroit. I grew up not to, not to the whistling of birds, but the whistling of bullets. What about you? I mean, that's just how he lived, you know. And I said, well, growing up in Oakland, we, we, we had a taste of our own bullets. But you know what? He looked so together on the outside and even fearful and intimidating. But I want to tell you, he was a starting center for the basketball team. He looked very intimidating almost 6'10", 6'11", almost. And yet, I, and this is a principle kind of like Bob said, 
we can't believe our feelings or our thoughts because he looked as if he had it together. And you know, most people act and behave like they have it together, but deep down inside, everyone's a broken vessel. Everyone has a sense of vulnerability that they're trying to hide. Everyone has a sense of powerlessness and insecurity that they don't want to let out. And I sat and talked with him. And as we talked about some things, and he knew I was with the brothers and, and doing things, he said, what is it about all that for me? And he asked, can, can, I, be, can I be saved? I would never dream this guy would ask me, can I have a part of what you all are taking? And as I talked to him, I realized this big man, intimidating man, was a little teddy bear inside. All he needed was the proper setting to where he volunteered how much he was a little softy. And he prayed with me and he wept and got saved. And I realized then, Lord, I will never trust the cover of any book. I just yeah. don't know what's inside of a human heart. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to echo that too, Scott. You know, if people would have seen me at university, high school or out any other time, they would see a guy that they would think pretty much knows what he's doing, where he's going, but all the time in me there was a gnawing hmm. and wondering and a dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. You know, even to the point, you know, I don't know how many people I told this to, probably not many, and probably now I'm telling the 350 people or so, but, you know, I even considered what's it all, what's it for? Mm -hmm. What's it for? If all I'm going to do right now, I'm young. If all I'm going to do is grow old and die, mm -hmm. have a family grow old and die, and that's all there's to it. Well, how about I just do that now? Mm -hmm. You know, these were the th kind of thoughts I had. And seemingly, I was together and I knew what, but, but I had these feelings. And if mm -hmm. Jim had not, if Jim had not shared something with me, and if Rick had not shared something with me, and the Lord arranged the environment, but there was a lot of sowing that went on before this, and I think sometimes we get too caught up thinking mm. we need to pluck the fruit. Right, right. You know, we don't have to pluck the fruit. We just got to sow the seed. That's right. The Lord will arrange the time where the fruit can be plucked. That's right. And the seed that we sow doesn't have to be big. Mm -hmm. Those, mm -hmm. those songs on the balcony, that mm -hmm. was a seed. Those mm -hmm. seeds got mm -hmm. in. Those guys calling on the Lord in the cafeteria, that was a seed. Just telling your friend, I went to a really enjoyable meeting this weekend, that's a seed. Mm -hmm. All these are seeds. We need to have big seeds, little seeds, all kinds of seeds. Just throw out the seeds and see what the Lord does. I think the enemy binds us thinking that we got to do something great. You know, we don't have to do anything great. Just do something little. The Lord will do the great things. That's right. That's right. The Lord will do all those things. But we just we just participate in a little way. You know, we enjoyed, we exercise to enjoy something. And then we just say something in a yeah. conversation. Wow, I really, I really enjoyed a Bible verse today. I really enjoyed reading the Bible. That's a seed. Mm -hmm. There are so many seeds that we can sow. And so I just want to encourage you young people, 
like what Scott said, don't look at the, don't look at the cover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The cover is a liar. Even look at these guys that wear the goss, the goss that wear the makeup and the black and the piercings right. and all that. That is a, that is a cry. All right. that is a cry from deep within. I want something real. That's right. And, and we've got the answers. I mean, we really have got the answers. This is the answer that everybody's looking for. Not everybody wants to hear it, but it's the answer. Mm -hmm. Like it or not, it's the answer. And if you take it, you'll enjoy it. If you don't, you won't. But, but anyway, if we could just be faithful in little ways, begin mm -hmm. to sow, low, sow little seeds and realize there is a teddy bear inside every man. That's successful, right. not successful, needy, not needy. There is a teddy bear in there that is longing for reality. That's right. Really true. Really true. Brother, I, I, when I went full-time, Bob, I had to tell my boss. He, it was part of Fireman's Fund, American Express. And this is a guy that wore big jewelry. He was uh, a regional uh, guy under the president of, of American Express. And he was telling me, hey, Scott, we'd like you to be uh, a regional manager, not just here in Spokane, over 10 states, we'd like to go to Philadelphia, da, da, da. And you know, the only thing I was thinking is, how am I going to tell this man no? Like I tell my students in my class, I said, watch out for corporate America. They want your soul. And my soul belongs to Jesus Christ, my Redeemer. And when I say that in class, all the Christians go, they're just <laughs> so happy to hear that. But I remember telling this man, who was very very much uh, weighty in the business world. And he worked just directly under Sandy Weil, who was one of the top businessmen in the country. And he offered this to me. And then I looked at him and I said, sir, I thank you for hiring me. And it has been good to work here for two and a half years, but I feel like I'm a bird with my wings being clipped here and I have to fly. And I have to fly into the heart of my Lord Jesus. And I said, and, and as a result, I'm quitting. I'm quitting work today to serve my, my Lord. He, he lives inside of me, and I have to go with him. He looked at me, and I thought he was going to give me all kinds of messages, you know, of how I'm blowing it, and here's this six-figure money and all this. He looked at me, and he goes, Scott, what you just said, I wished I had said that when I was your age. I, I, I wished I was you. You know, he looked like he had it together. He lived in mansions and so on. He looked at me and said, almost, he was almost crying that I wished I had done what you're doing right now. So even the person that looks the most together and is so-called wealthy, like you said, they have inside an endless Christ-shaped vacuum that Amen. won't let them go. Amen. And watch, watch Mani in The Messenger of the Cross. He brings out people have to be brought to two different types of senses to be saved, either the sense of sin or the sense of emptiness. And he said, without them being brought to that point, they won't get saved. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the mystery of human life, talking about what Peter said, taking on others' words, you don't even have to come up with words. What a big help the mystery of human life was. I began to chew it, memorize it. I'd wake up at night, wait, wait, wait. The three circle, that's on page five. No, no, and then page six is where God's coming in. I mean, page 12, that's the diagram, the flow chart. I, I would get that thing into me with the view that, Lord, I want to pass on 
this gift from the body through me to others. And so if you look on page three of the Mystery Human Life, and this is something I ask all my students as I teach at the university, right at the page three, before they get into the first key, there's an introduction. And, and Brother Andrew Yu, who put that booklet together, said something about origin, it's italicized, purpose is italicized, and destiny is italicized. And I looked on those words and I chewed them for a while, and then I realized, hey, he's talking about where did I come from? What am I doing here now? And where will I be 10,000 years from now? And now, what an opportunity to come to anyone and say, hey, have you ever wondered, I I got three questions and I even tell my students, you should not get a degree from Eastern Washington University until you can answer these three questions. What's your origin? What is your purpose? And what is your destiny? Where did you come from? If you don't know where you came from, And if you don't know why you get out of bed every day, and if 10,000 years from now, you don't know where you're going to be, and some people go, why 10,000? Well, that's the last verse in that little song. When we then there, 10,000 years. You know that one? Yeah. Anyway, when you put before them these three items, you realize you're touching the emptiness that is basic, inherent, congenital, at birth within every human being. And then I I tell the class, you shouldn't get a degree until you can answer those three questions. And just to be able to sit with someone after and then turn to the first key, then you're just using the words that are there, but what you're doing is you're softening up the ground by hitting this matter of origin, purpose, and destiny. Because that's what Bob said, we've got the answer to our origin, to our purpose, and to our destiny. And we need to start off good conversations that way. Sometimes I just ask people, hey, you know, this virus is something really inconvenienced me. Has it inconvenienced you? Yeah. I said, well, you know, it also has made me realize when I look in the mirror, I might not be around tomorrow. You ever think about your mortality? Yeah. And then based on just talking about the virus, I wonder, have you ever asked what your origin is? Do you know where you came from? And why do you get out of bed every day? And I'm thinking 10,000 years from now, where do you think you'll be? And, and, I, and then you can have a conversation based on the virus, bringing in these three points, and then you can show that first key. So what I'm saying is we can initiate some conversations that can lead to the printed material that the, the ministry supplies us. To me, it's a big open field. I, I even tell my students, Unless you can answer these three questions, you're L-O-S-T. And don't argue with me because I'm your professor. I mean, I can get away with that there, you know. But the thing is, we need to seek. How can we find a way to bring people to admit, like Brother Bob did, that there's an emptiness, that there's a longing, that there's a gnawing. I like your word, gnawing. How can we learn? And we need to learn from each other and fellowship with each other along these lines. next time on Stories. We begin to experience intense persecution from our peers, from our families. I mean, my family thought for sure tomorrow I'm going to drink Kool-Aid and, you know, I'm going to be done, you know. I mean, all of my friends from high school were coming to me. Actually, my dad was going to all my friends and in tears, begging them that I would get out of the church line. 
and my friends would come to me and they say, Peter, do you know what you're doing to your dad? And psychologically, it was incredibly painful. But the problem is, I saw the vision. I saw it as clear as day. It's not about following a man. It's, it's not about Scott Finney. It's not about any of that. It's about God, the Almighty, who has a plan. And I mean, I'm breathing for this plan. And I'm, I want to see it happen.